as a writer of historical fiction, I think it's important to, to make sure that what I'm writing about happened not exactly in the same way, but that it could have happened <laughs> at that time. So the way I check myself is to see, well, did this, did something like this happen in the past? Welcome to the Book Society Podcast, where we talk to interesting people about interesting books. It's really that simple. Okay, here we go. Well, it's the Book Society Podcast. I'm here with Lori Lowenstein, who is on the fiction faculty of Wilkes University, has written a novel called Unmentionables, and two other novels set in the Dust Bowl, of which one is Funeral Train, which came out in 2022 from Akashic Books. It takes place in the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma in the 1930s. And uh, Lori Lowenstein, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm glad to have you. What uh, what draws you to the Depression era Dust Bowl? What, what what makes you want to write about that time and place? Well, a couple of things. First of all, um, I was a history major in college and a grad school, so I have this proclivity toward you know looking in the past and seeing patterns of repetition even now. And the other thing is I read a book called um, The Worst Hard Time by Timothy Egan. Mm. It uh, is nonfiction. It's a fantastic book. It won the National Book Award, I think, in 2012 for nonfiction. And he looked at the folks who lived in the Dust Bowl area but stayed. They did not migrate the way Steinbeck's people did. And so he interviewed, I think he ended up with like three or four families from different areas and why they stayed and how they managed. I mean, some of these people were quite old when he talked to them, but uh, I just was fascinated by these very brave and uh, stubborn people who who toughed it out. And uh, so I was, I just very, got very excited reading his book. And then there was a part where um, he talked about Black Sunday, which was um, in 1935. It was the biggest of the dust storms. And it rolled across the plains, the high plains, uh, during the middle of the day. When it, it reached your town, the dust clouds looked like, like mountains. And they were like 400 feet tall tall they were huge and they were big swirling masses of dust and dirt and sand and then as it went on like fence posts and things like that they were just and they would roll through the town in the middle of the day on this particular day and it would be totally black you know they just the lights were it went out totally and he described this and it, it kept on going it actually reached the dust reached into uh, washington dc and even went on out to sea. So there would be dust in, you know, like in the windowsills in DC from this massive storm. The other thing is that uh, Woody Guthrie was a teenager during this time. And he, he and some friends hunkered down in a barn or a shed during this time. And he, so he lived through this storm and he went on to write a ton of songs about the Dust Bowl. But as I'm reading this by Timothy Egan, this description, I'm thinking, Wow, wouldn't that be a cool time to um, have someone murder someone <laughs> in a murder mystery book? <laughs> you know, that's a little depraved, but <laughs> I just thought it's the middle of the day. It's perfectly black. You know, this would be a good time. So that was why I wrote the began to write the first one. Yeah, I don't know if it's depraved. I mean, you are a mystery writer. Yes. Um, but that does beg the question, what, um, what makes someone want to write about murders? 
Well, that's a, that's an excellent question. I really don't know. I've just been something I've been interested in since I was a kid. I mean, I went through the an era where there were horror magazines and horror comics, and they were usually from movies of the 30s and 40s. So they were way well before my time. But the they would make little trading cards from those uh, images like the Wolfman and things. I don't know. Um, and then I just continued onward. I read about Lizzie Borden, who famously killed her father and stepmother. And I don't know. I just got involved. <laughs> Lizzie Borden killed him with an axe, right? Yes. The first famous axe murderer, maybe? Yes, yes. And that case has been written about multiple, multiple times and with different variations on who did it. But I, I'm sure she did it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was a pretty big deal in the time. I think it was in the late 1800s and uh, her, she was went on trial and she got acquitted. But I think everyone thought she did it. And you can go visit her house now. Yikes. The house Man, where it happened. Yeah, people do are fascinated with, um, people are fascinated with this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So in your Absolutely. book, in, uh, in Funeral Train, you were not content with uh, murdering a single person. You murdered a dozen people, something like that? Yeah, I, that sounds about right. <laughs> yes, there's a <laughs> yeah. there's a big train wreck early on, and, and I think it was like 12 people died of, as a result. And then pretty quickly, it's established that this was really an accident. It was a sab- purposeful sabotage. And then there's someone else that does get murdered that may or may not be linked to this incident. But yeah, I always wanted to write about trains. I don't know why, just interested in them. And I I grew up near trains. So the train wreck in this particular book, I based on a real wreck in uh, Oklahoma in the 20s. This is my books in the 30s. But in the 20s, there was a similar type of wreck. I use that as a jumping off point. I guess as a writer of historical fiction, I think it's important to for me, as when I do my research to make sure that what I'm writing about happened not exactly in the same way, but that it's that it could have happened <laughs> at that time. So the way mm-hmm. I do I check myself is to see, well, did this did something like this happen in the past? So yeah, so those trains were could be really dangerous, you know, if they went off the rails or hit you know head-on collision. A lot, a number of people died from in train wrecks in the from 1900 on, and then until less people traveled on trains. Sure. Yeah. One of the details I found so interesting um, was the the railroad spike, the, the yeah. railroad detective who collects different railroad spikes. Yes. Is that, are, are you like a railroad spike connoisseur? How did you come across this bit of Arcana? Uh, well, I'm not, but um, living close to the tracks, we did have folks, there was a, a small bridge over the tracks near our house. So people would bring their lawn chairs and their pads and papers, and they would sit there and watch the trains go past and make notes on which trains went, what, you know, where they were going, how many cars, that kind of stuff. And they they were just train nuts, or as my friend says, foamers. Foamers? Foamers. They would be foaming at the mouth. There's people who are very into trains, and they will, they collect, you know, old tickets and old pieces of equipment and they go out and now video the trains going by and there's a group and um so actually I did check there's a there was a magazine called Rail Fan in the 30s and they did have guys well uh, readers who would write in and, and discuss the things they found or and then they did these rail trips just for 
trail fans that w- they would take them not to like a scenic area, but maybe a some kind of a a spot where there would be junctions of two big rail tracks crossing and they'd take them there and they could watch them or to a famous roundhouse or something. So the railroad spikes, after I, the book came out, someone did tell me that they collected them. So I, I felt vindicated on that. Uh, for, the, for the listener, the, one of her characters collects railroad spikes and sees some, you know, some uh, rare railroad spike yeah. in someone's office and asks to have it. Uh, <laughs> it never occurred to me that there were different kinds of railroad spikes. Well, but. I have a booklet on them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I bought that for research purposes only. <laughs> Tax deduction. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I I guess, you know, you can find someone who's into anything. It just never occurred to me that trains would be such a fascinating thing. But yeah, there, um, of course, there's, you know, people are into cars. Yeah. People yeah. are into all, you know, I've collect, I've got a collection of guitars behind me, you know, that's yeah. might seem odd to some people. I go to conventions. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> you know, okay. Uh, they're, they're, they're mostly, but, but I mean, I, I work, you know, I use yeah. these for, I use these to play. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I guess it seems odd to me that if you didn't work for the railroad, yes, you would be interested in trains. But the, yes, but um, they they are they are there to they were there in the thirties. They are there now. Is is this a, a series? Are we going to see some more books with these characters in, in this town? Yeah, I'm going to do at least one more. So the first one was the death of a rainmaker. Then this one, and I'm starting the, the third one, and then I'll decide what I want to do after that. As a reader of mysteries, and I like a series, if I find a good one, I want more. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and I think three is the minimal you can do just to, you know, your readers want at least three, I think. (laughs) I didn't realize that this was part of a series until I finished it. And then I just went back and did some research on it. And so I do want to read the Rainmaker book. And um, as a, as a new... As a new fan, I'll make a request that you write uh, a story that takes place in the neighboring black town about uh, those folks. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's just for the uh, listeners who haven't read the book, all the people who die in the train wreck are in the colored car because the colored car is shitty and made of wood and gets destroyed immediately on impact. And there's just allusions to a town that is set up in Oklahoma that is um, entirely colored people and has their own government. And it, it reminded me of Tulsa mm-hmm. where there, you know, once that town got really successful, it got rated by the KKK. And yeah, I just, I just, it, it just the specter of that town was really interesting. To yeah. Me. Well, there were 50 at one time, 50 towns in Oklahoma that were um, created by black citizens and they purposely founded these towns. They were fleeing the Jim Crow South and from around 1920 to 1940, they, they established a total of 50 towns. And that's um, the biggest one, the most well-established was called Bowley. And I I, um, I made up a town, but I, I modeled it after the real town. But they, you know, they had their own banks and schools and a couple of them are still there, but most of them died out. The depression, the economics of the Great Depression really destroyed a lot of the, the economic era, but they were farming and, you know, having their own livelihood and their own, and didn't have threats of Jim Crow. That So the Tulsa massacre occurred in the tw- late 20s. And so this is my town is that I'm writing about currently is in the 30s, but they did, those towns were aware of what happened in Tulsa and sent um, money to ha- try and help. Well, the, one of the things that struck me in the book was the, you know, I, I don't read a lot of stuff about the Great Depression that isn't, um, you alluded to Steinbeck earlier, where, you know, it's just this horrible symphony of misery that going from one place to the other and everything's the worst. 
And in your book, one of the things I found really interesting is that these characters are, everybody acknowledges that it's hard times, but they're just kind of living their lives and everything seems to be fine, more or less. Yeah. Um, you must have heard stories of the depression from your parents or grandparents. Yes. I did from my grandparents. Um, and, uh, and this is more what they were like than Steinbeck. For, for me, that's, yeah. Was that, was that your experience also? Yeah, I guess it depends on where you are. Were you know that this was not just. I mean, the depression in general. Yes, I, my parents both lived through the depression. So, I've, and my grandparents, I've heard stories, but they were out in um, mid the Midwest in, in the Dust Bowl mm. region. They got the, they got the Great Depression plus the Dust Bowl on top of it, and so they were. Um, you know, if you were a farmer out in Oklahoma in the panhandle, you lost your farm. I mean, there just was nothing would grow. There was huge drifts of dirt and sand and it just smothered everything. And the cattle, they would be trying to to eat and they would end up with a lot of dust and dirt in their stomachs and die. And it was just, it, it was really prohibitive in some areas. So depend on where, depends on where you were. Um, but yeah, the Great Depression was tough. I mean, it was... It was tough on everyone, but the Dust Bowl in particular really took a hit because of um, the ecological stuff going on. It was an extreme drought, and it was actually caused by several factors. But one was people moved into these areas in 1910s, 20s, and they they were trying to be farmers, and they ripped up all the prairie grass. And the prairie grass apparently has really, really long roots. And when they plowed that up and to plant crops, there was nothing to hold the soil in place. So, and then you had a drought condition, which was a periodic, it was unusual to have droughts, but then this, there was nothing to hold the soil and it would just get dried out by the drought and then whipped up and make these massive dust storms um, come through quite frequently. People got sick, they got dust pneumonia, they lost their livelihood. It was it was bad. So this wasn't a storm; it was an ecological disaster. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh. Yeah, and that's one of the book the things that Timothy Egan stresses, and he does mention the aquifers that uh, his book came out like ten years ago, and he mentions these aquifers that are currently drying up now that have been there hundreds of of years at least, and people have tapped water out of them so much that there's not going to be much left. Yeah, two years ago, approximately, we did an episode about water in the West. And uh, yeah, west of about Texas mm-hmm. and like the middle of Oklahoma, yeah. there's not enough water to sustain farming. No. And the brochures would say something like, the rain rain follows the plow. Yes, exactly. Like, if you just go plow this yes. land, it's going to rain. That's right. Um, <laughs> but turns out rain does not follow the plow. No, it doesn't. Rain, rain follows like man-made irrigation right. channels. right. Yes, you might get like a season or two of rain, but mostly, yes, it doesn't. And if you don't have the prairie grass holding the soil in place, you're going to get these massive dust storms. That's uh, Yeah, I did not know that about the prairie grass. That's really interesting. Just looking for the author's opinion. Who is to blame for all of these deaths? It is it is ambiguous in your book, which is fantastic. And you may choose to not answer the question and leave it to the reader. That's totally fine. But I want to know if you have an opinion. Uh, and you mean on the train wreck? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yeah. No, in the Dust Bowl. No. <laughs> well, oh, let's talk oh. about the politics of the 1920s. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're, oh. um, yes. Who is to blame for, uh, in the in the train wreck in your book, we have someone throws the switch, which derails the train. Yes. But he, he was intending to derail a freight train. Right. And the schedule got mixed up. Yes. And so uh, it was a passenger train. It derailed. A bunch of people died. 
but they died because they were in an unsafe car. Nobody who was in a steel plated car died. Yes. So, so who was to blame for this trailer? Well, that, okay, that's a great point. Yes. So, yeah, initially it's intended to be the the guy who he threw the the uh, signal and diverted the train. And yes, he he thought it was a freight train, and that is based on a real case. Actually, they, they caught the guy. He was just totally remorseful. I mean, he was just devastated that it was it was a passenger train. So that's a real person. Wow. Yeah, I think. When train cars were upgraded to use steel and things, the Jim Crow cars were never upgraded. They were just left, you know, so they were wooden. And they were also placed right near the front of the train because it was, that was the most unpleasant place to be seated seated as a passenger. There would be soot and noise and stuff from the engine. And it was still a steam train. So there was coal, coal dust and things. So, so, so with those two factors, when you have a wooden train car and you have um, it's near the front. If something happens, it's going to break into bits and um, and kill people, which um, happened in real life and and also in my story. I think ultimately, it's it's the segregation and the Jim Crow stuff that that kills the people. Uh, yeah, that was such a. I mean, I know that that was real and that was pulled from, but that was such a uh, sad detail and just a right. reminder that not even a hundred years ago, right. There were some horrible things still going on in this country. There, yes, you know, it, it's hard to imagine. It's like you know, I often think about like I wonder what's happening now. That in a hundred years, people will say, "Wow, they did that. That's crazy." Yes. Well, it, it was so so malicious. It wasn't just you know. I mean, segregation in, in and of itself is bad, but it was just maliciously putting folks in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's what struck me about it was that it didn't seem. I mean, you could have, if you wanted to segregate the cars, there's just so many other ways you could have done, you know, yes. you could have just had the same cars and right. just had one car be segregated. But, you know, it's like they deliberately said, let's use these shitty old cars, put them at the front of the train. Ugh. Yeah. and I, Yeah, I guess, yeah, money. But I mean, but I mean, you could have put a wooden car in the back of the train, too. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it would have been safer. That's true. Um, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And in the, in my book, there were a number of, of Black citizens who wrote letters to the editor and wrote letters to the train companies protesting this. And I have a um, one of the passengers who dies is um, her husband uh, mm-hmm. writes a letter and he's hoping to pressure uh, the rail companies to do something about this. And so I used a piece of his real letter, the real man. Oh, that was re- oh wow, yeah, because I that was a beautiful part of the book where you just. The uh, one, the husband of one of the people who died in the car goes to the white newspaper right. and asks to publish a letter to the editor that is pretty scathing and you know beautifully written. I, and I, I thought that was just a wonderful detail, but it's um, yeah. it is a wonderful detail, but it's amazing that that's a, uh, from a true story. Yeah. All right, great. Well, Funeral Train is a fun read. It's a good book. It's a Dust Bowl story. It is um, not depressing, but um, many things that happen in it are very depressing. So uh, please enjoy it. We're going to come back next week. We're going to talk to Lori Lowenstein about the book that she chose to read, which is Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson. It came out in 1980. It was, uh, it was, uh, well, we'll find out next week. Okay. The Book Society podcast is brought to you by me, Lucas Cantor Santiago, and produced by Chris Peters. We do new episodes on Fridays. We have a lot of episodes. You can listen to some back catalog. If you like the show, please give it a review. You can review it on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Takes a few seconds. Helps out the show. Helps other people find it. And we really appreciate it. All right. See you next week.
and so, yeah, so welcome to the uh, Guitar Talk podcast. I'm so glad that you were able to join us. <laughs> um, so.